Hey, uh, so glad you're all here with us this morning. Uh, if, you're, if this is your first time here at Word of Grace, uh, we're just so privileged that we could share this time together, worshiping the Lord. Um, my name is Judah, and I've been uh, one of the pastors and teaching elders here for the last several years. And one of the things that the Lord I've seen do through the years as he brings different ones to add to our fellowship and as we go on this journey together, we have to repeatedly come back to some essentials of what makes us a local church. Okay, And this is one of the reasons why we're going through this series right now, is that we understand that what we're doing here um, in this meeting is not attending church. Okay, So before we get too far into uh, the year and too far into what we're our plans are for what we think we need to learn. We need to make sure that at every so often, we need to make sure like, hey, are we still on the same page together? Are we still in, singing the same song? You know? Um, and this is one of those things that we would repeatedly like to do is to make sure that we get the heartbeat of God when he calls us the local church. What we do together matters. So this series is called Grow in Grace. And this is specifically dealing with the issues of how God builds his church. Um, and when we say that, we're not talking about how God adds more people. Okay? Growing church has got little to do with adding more people to a Sunday meeting. Okay? If our Sunday meeting was non-existent but the church was active, it's a still a great thing. Okay, as long as the church is meeting, gathering, doing things that God by His Spirit only can do. Okay, these are some of the things that we will look at. So the past few weeks we talked about God's grace being the favor of a king coming to a people. And when you walk in this grace, it's not something that you can create. It's not something you can earn. But God's grace is available to each one. Okay, and when you receive it, you're dealing with a king from a different kingdom. So the way he operates is not the way we operate. So there needs to be a mind change. There needs to be a mindset that shifts to think the way this king does. And we use the word ambassadors, and the Bible uses this word ambassadors in this context, that we have been sent out or apostled out, and I talked about that a little bit last week. This word apostle is often connected to the word or title that someone holds. And that's a sad thing because that, that is not the intent of that word. It is specifically something that God can send. Someone God can send. And guess who he sent? It's in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he? That word there is apostled. He apostled. Who did he send? Jesus. So Jesus was an There you go. Okay. So who was the first one that we're talking about as far as the greatest apostle that it ever was? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was the greatest apostle there ever was. And he was sent out from this kingdom to bring the kingdom of God. What was Jesus' purpose when he came? It opens. Luke talks about this. He preached the good news of the kingdom of God. He did not create Christianity, as though you might think that. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to do what? 
represent the kingdom of God. And then wherever he went, you would hear this phrase Jesus would use often. The kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God has been revealed to you. The kingdom of God is in you. Have you do, you, do you gather that from some of the conversations you, in, in your upbringing in church? You might have heard this phrase, but just glossed over it because you thought, because he is the king. No, no, no. He was talking about where he's coming from. Okay? So when we as the church, now Jesus says, guess what? The same way my father sent me, what am I doing? I'm sending. So who is the next apostles? But are we talking about apostles in the context of position? No. Are we talking about apostles in the context of office? No. That's why a better word, because so we don't muddy the waters, I'm using the phrase ambassadors. Okay? Are we cool with that? We have been ambassadored out to go set up an outpost of our nation in another foreign land. Guess what? We're in foreign territory. As much as you might love the United States of America and this being your homeland, guess what? It's not your homeland. We are from another place. And that is something we constantly have to refresh our hearts with this truth. My homeland is not of this place. My homeland is not of this place. So I want to take you through a little bit of scripture here so that you start to see this. But I just, just for context for some of the things I just said... Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, write it down. John chapter 6, verse 29. And John chapter 8, verse 42. These are just verses that I want you to see for context to understand this concept of a king sending out and then him saying, now I'm going to send you. Okay? I want you to see this transaction. Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 says... Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who? Do you see that? It's, 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 it's all connected to the grace of a king. A favor that he bestows. When Jesus was born, what did the angels sing? Glory to God in the highest. And goodwill toward men. God was extending Extended favor from his throne that would go to a people who were not deserving. That would go to a people that could not do anything to earn it. Could not do anything to receive it apart from him coming and saying, I will save the people. That is Jesus' name for he will save his people. So when you come to see the work of Jesus, it's more than him trying to set up Christianity. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to represent the kingdom he came from. John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus answered them and he said, The work of God that you believe in him, the one that he has. What was his goal? You believe? The work of God. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. What is eternal life? John, th- John 3, 17. Which is the, uh, John 17, 3, sorry. This is eternal life that you might know him and the one he has sent. So this word sent is all over the scripture and it's that word to be apostled. So the church in this time period is the one that has been launched out 
into a dark world, into a dark place saying, go, set up embassies everywhere. I want you, I'm sending you out of our nation to go set up embassies of the kingdom of God. That is what the local church is meant to be. We're not talking about Sunday meetings. We're talking about people who together meet with the living, abiding presence of God and then go out into their job or when they have the neighbor, neighbors over for dinner or when they're helping someone mow the lawn, the conversations that happen there. These are the places the embassy of God does its business. These are the places where the Spirit of God moves through very ordinary people. You and I look... I mean, do we all look normal or do we look special? I'm special. No. We all look ordinary. There's nothing fancy about us. There's nothing noteworthy about us apart from the work of God's grace. And that's something I really want us to get deep in our hearts. Because otherwise we start aspiring for a kind of operating that looks good. If there's one thing you've heard about recent trends in the church and that has been exposed during the pandemic was attractional church doesn't work. Because guess what? When I have a pandemic on my doorstep, something crazy is going on in my household, I don't care how fancy your church looks. How awesome your pastor dresses. It, all those things like literally dissipate into the air. Why? Because I need to know the God who is in my valley. I need to know this God is in my struggle. And I need to know that I have brothers and sisters I can count on. When stuff hits the fan, I can call on them. Right? And that's the thing that God has made the local church for. So today I want to talk about specifically the people that God graces the church with. God has certain offices that he gives people. But the office is not for people to say, well, I'm the pastor here. You're just someone who sits in a seat. No. There is no such thing in the, in the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. And I want you to see this very, very clear. But grace, we're talking about this lavish favor that sent Jesus out, right? So this is the same transaction we're talking about. That same heart disposition of God that sent Jesus was given to, read it with me, was given to, are you an each one? I hope you're an each one because it tries to be very specific there, right? Just in case we thought it was given to a few who helped the, the rest of us sheeple. Ah, we're all people who have been empowered by the grace of God. And according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now guess what? What is the measure of Christ's gift? I'll go to another scripture. If he did not withhold his only son, how will he also together with him give you all things? 
So what is the measure of Christ's gift? Everything. It's the whole family legacy, the family property, all the papers, the whole estate, everything's put in. And he says, you get everything. Everything's now written, directly made out to whatever your name. Put your name in there. That is the measure of Christ's gift. And out of that big gift, he says, operate in that grace. Grace has been given to each one. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. And I'm going to go through these verses quickly, but I want you to see this thing. It says, And the end of things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Because you can get all crazy, right? Has anybody seen anyone get crazy? Okay. So this, is, this scripture is for this time. And why are we being instructed to do this? Because you can pray in a way that doesn't have the promise or the grace of God in mind. You can pray like someone who's just seeing devastation around you. And the only thing I can do is throw up something and hope someone catches it. And what are the, some of the things that set the groundwork for this in the church? He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of those stupid things that you think your neighbor in the church thinks. Those people you, I can't believe, how can they call themselves Christian? You know those people who, sit, who are sitting right next to you right now? He says, let love be the oil that goes through the church. That all those places that we, get, we bristle up against each other, that can so put us in opposition to each other, he says, hey, 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 you might think differently on a whole bunch of things, but let the love of God control. This is what sober and self-controlled have to do with. Control that attitude that wants to lash out and say, I can't receive anything from you. I, no, not from you. If you change that viewpoint, then maybe I can receive something from you. Especially now, the, 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 the tone that we have in the church right now needs to listen to this. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is something that we got to get used to. Life groups are starting up this week. This is not just because it's a trendy thing to do. This is part of what makes us the local church. We cannot. Now, for those of you sitting in this corner, the likelihood of you knowing the people in that corner, not possible. We don't have enough hours in the week to get to know everybody. But you can get to know a few people. And intentionally, you cannot say, well, nobody talked to me. Well, did you talk to anybody? Did you go and say hello to anybody? Well, this church, they didn't say hello quickly enough. Okay. Sure, we do want to be a welcoming church. We do. At our Sunday meetings, we do want to welcome everyone with open arms. But guess what? The real business is done in our homes. So find somebody you can get coffee with. If you don't have an apartment, if you don't have a home that you can have people at, meet somewhere else. If you have kids and they're crazy, go to a park. Figure it out. You're an adult. 
You do this with your life. The issue is we want church programs to do it for us. And that's what I'm standing up against. Okay? We're not, there is no church program that can help you be in authentic relationships. You're the only one who can do that. But when you say, hey, we've not met with you. I don't know you. But would you like to come over for dinner? There we have a start. Okay. Verse 10. As each one, again, here's that stinking word again. Each one, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Can you reach and define God's grace in a box? Oh, this is what it means. Make meals for people. No, that's not hospitality. Guess what? Hospitality could be helping someone clean their floors. Don't come over for a meal. Clean my floors and help me do that. That would be really great. Oh, no, washing people's feet. That's, you know, Jesus did it. So that's, guess what? Don't wash people's feet. Let them wash their feet. But wash their feet in the context of what are the places that you need to be cleansed that I'm willing to come and cover? I'm willing to serve you in that capacity. Do you understand? So it's not the item. We glorify items like as if there are now, there's some secret sauce in it. And we've made the Sunday meeting one of those secret sauce things. That's what makes us Christian. We go to Sunday meetings. No! It's beneficial that you go to Sunday meetings, but please, the church of God operates as each one serves one another, as a good steward. So if you have this something in your family, if you're good at something, do it and do it well. Excel in it. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, who serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him alone belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Close the book on that one. We do not get to touch any of the glory. We do not get to touch any of the things that proceed out of our households as, yeah, we do that. This is my thing. Does that make sense? We are so prone to looking for things that massage our ego. Oh yeah, I did this nice thing for somebody. And this is what drives most of the world. We, we, we appeal to people's ego to serve. We appeal to people who want to feel like, ah, oh, I feel like I did a good thing. Good things won't cut it. God things will. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, Before he has gone beforehand, so this is that grace word coming, he has prepared works that you might walk in them. Good works, translated God works. Not good because it's just nice stuff like building homes or helping someone with painting or all necessary things. But is this fueled by the strength of God, by the supply of God? So when it comes into the church, God has given us, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, says that He gave apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers. 
And what did he give them for? To equip the each ones. He gave these gifts to the church so that the each ones can be equipped. Because the each ones sometimes don't know that grace has been given to them. So God has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for this purpose. Apostles specifically, and I'm going to now just unpack a few of these things quickly so that you see it. (coughs) Whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Remember when Jesus said that? We often are so used to the title of apostle being something... The 12 that wrote, or the 12 that were disciples of Jesus. And we say, those were the apostles, so there are no more apostles. Scripture very clearly tells you, after Jesus ascended, he gave the apostles. So that itself falls flat when people say there aren't apostles. The purpose of apostles isn't a title. The purpose of the apostles is a function. Everything in the body of Christ is a function Long before it becomes a position. And we as the body of Christ really need need to get our head around that. So when God calls apostles, apostles are people who are sent to establish a new work. Or establish a failing work. Something that is malformed or something that is not well constructed. Someone is sent out. This is usually in in, in the Greek term that is sent, the apostolos, or someone who is sent out as a messenger to bring the message or to bring clarity or bring establishment to something that is just a fledgling work. So there are people that God has gifted to the local church who specifically carry that gift right now in our church. Who go beyond the surface issues who are able to get underneath and establish things. Does that mean we give them the title apostle? No. I would be very wary of giving anyone any title. Why? Because you don't see Jesus operate that way. He, wherever he went, how many times, he, every time people said, give us your title. And he would say, I've come to serve my father. And then they would say, you are this. And he was like, well, that I am. Why won't you tell us who you are? It's because that's not the point here. The point is the glory of my father. He, he laid for us a foundation that we would not get carried away by titles. Even though he says, I am your teacher. I am your God. I am your father. I am the wonderful counselor. He never shied away from those things. The honor that is due to him is worthy. But it's never in the context of functioning. So functioning always trumps everything else. So when God calls apostles within the church, he calls them specifically to establish and to pioneer. Okay? So be aware of that. And these are people that God calls. So in our church, I have been asking the Lord, Lord, for us to be a church that is equipped for the service, raise up apostles so that we can send people. 
to establish a work. People who are solid in the truth. People who can establish things, and then not so that we can give them the title, but so that they can do the work of service. Secondly, God gave prophets. Prophets are people who speak the word of God, the fresh word of God that comes directly from his mouth to the people. Now, this is a very, very valuable gift. Again, are we getting carried away with who the prophets are? Are we getting carried, or are we earnestly desiring that we would prophesy? Scripture calls us to be a people who grow in these gifts. And guess what? If we are a people who apply ourselves to getting more and more mature in handling these things well with humility, I'm telling you, there will be a recognition among the body, this person is a prophet of God. Not because they gave themselves a title, but because they are recognized for the fruit of their work. Does that make sense? And sadly, on television or on the internet, there are tons of people who go by the title prophet. And half of them are bunk. Right? Just speaking out of whatever they feel the people want to hear about a situation that's going on. And give them just enough direction that's vague enough that they will be like, well, it didn't pan out, but this is still the will of God. So people have got to despise the gift of prophecy in the church because it's muddled up with all this other garbage. But that should not be so. But God gave this so that the church hears the word of the Lord. And this is something that I want you to hear. This is the word that the Lord gave while we were worshiping. Specifically, that there were people whose head had been downcast. And I asked the Lord, what is, and I saw the Lord, it was, a, it was in the form of a picture, and he said, I want, you, I want to do this. It was almost the hand of the Lord coming and reaching for your chin and lifting it up. That was the word. And in that context, God had us sing that song. Now, they had already prepared that song. It wasn't something that happened in the moment. But God was specifically addressing places that are dry and dead that needed the fresh word of the Lord to be spoken. So now, this is an each one thing. Son of man, prophesy to these dry bones. Do you see how this will work in the local church? It's got nothing to do with anybody on stage or someone trying to do something fancy. This is you in your home. You know the situations you're going through. God has given his spirit to you. And he says, now speak. I will give you utterance. Don't try and make up some hyper spiritual sounding. And therefore I declare unto you. And don't, don't get all fancy. Lord, what have you given me to speak? I will speak that. To my child. To my spouse. To my boss. To my workplace. My situation. I don't know. There are so many things going on. But the Lord says, I will give you fresh work. Isn't that an amazing thing that the Lord has given that to his local church? That we have resources from another kingdom. It's not things of this place. It's not good thoughts. It's definitely not good vibrations. It is something that comes directly from the throne of God for a people who are committed to him. 
He gave to the church evangelists. These are people who preach the good news of God's kingdom. These are people who have a unique ability with just such a disarming clarity. I, I mean, and I've seen evangelists operate, and I've, I've done the work of an evangelist for when I was much younger. And every time I would share the gospel, there would be just a favor that God would give with people who are far from him. You're walking down the street and God would give favor for someone to hear the gospel. And it was an amazing thing to watch. But when I was training under some evangelists and to see how is this guy talking about hell and death and all of this stuff so clearly? And this person's like, and it's in, it's in, in a very disarming but very clear way that draws someone to repentance. I have no idea how that is done. It's not a gift that I have, but I do the work. Because all of us, it's an each one thing, correct? So the grace comes from where? Does the grace come from me? Is it my gift? No, it's his. So he's the giver. So I say, there's a person that the gospel needs to be shared with. I'm not an evangelist by profession. But guess what? I can do the evangelism. I can share the good news I have. And if he equips me in this area and graces me for it, guess what? Word of grace, we might have a few evangelists on our hands. But are we looking for the title? No. Okay? So I want you to always see that in that context. Finally, we see pastors and teachers. Now this word is joined together. If you, if you look at the way the sentence is structured, it's, it's structured where shepherds and teachers are put together. Not because they're just one person, but there is a very key distinction here. The word pastors and teachers have to do with a function of feeding, caring, and leading. Okay, so it's like almost like one function that's kind of wrapped up together. But there are people who have pastoral gifts, and then there are people who have teaching gifts individually. And you will see other portions of scripture that talk about that. But the reason why I see this in scripture joined together is because this is what God calls the shepherds of his flock. You know the one phrase that does not come in our Bibles? This is the only one place where it is ever used in the New Testament as a noun. The word pastor. Guess what our Christianity is pinned on? Pastors. How many times does it appear in the Bible? One. But the concept of shepherding is all through the New Testament. That is why I'm saying you need to understand that what we have in the local church today is the single man kind of operation that is not scriptural. That does not come from the Bible. So when we as a church went through a season of really seeking after the Lord, of saying, Lord, how do we model for our church's sake what is healthy scripturally? I want to unpack for you what we, are, what we mean when we say we are pastors and teachers here. You would have heard us, whenever we introduce ourselves, I'm, a, I'm just one of the pastors here. I've, I've had a few people come to me and say, well, if you're the 
you're the pastor here and then they're like elders. And I want to explain to you why that is not the case. Scripturally, okay? Because we understand the term pastor, that is why you will hear us use it. Because that's the one that, if you've come from a different church background, you're more used to that word. So we don't want you to be confused when you walk in, well, who, who really does anything here? We don't know. We want you to know that we are the ones who, if you had a question, you can come to us. We are pastors here. But I want to unpack this word because the word pastor is not an office as much as it is a function. It is uniquely a function that God has given for his people. Guess what you do when you're a parent? You pastor. If you do not have, everyone who has a kid has to grow in a pastoral gift. Does that make you a pastor? No. Are we making sense here? Everyone who has a kid has to grow in a teaching gift. Does that make you a teacher? No. So now do you see there is something that is quite natural about this context of caring and raising up. Which is built into natural life, but within the church of God, God says, I will call out a few who are trustworthy, who can be in charge of this, of caring and teaching. And those people in scripture, and this is the term that is used more widely in the New Testament, which you will hear more often, and it's the word elder. Okay, so I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. So these are people who God, if you look in in Jeremiah, I love this verse. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, this is God's heart. He says, God says, I will give you shepherds that are after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. If we really in the church are to have pastors, people who who flow after his heart. These are not people who are looking for a title or who gets to be the boss, who gets to be at the leadership level. It's not about levels. It's about being people who care more about his heart. The Apostle Paul, someone who had the title. Do you know, if you read through the letters of Paul, what is his first introduction? Paul, a bond servant of of Jesus Christ and called as an apostle I've been given a a task to do but that's just my task that's just my job my highest calling is to be a son of God who serves as someone who's joined to this household I do not presume to be the one in charge that's why he uses that phrase bond servant I'm part of this household for life I will do whatever in the context of serving his goals, not mine. I'm not going to break out on my own. So while we have been given the adoption as sons of God, I don't sit there saying, well, you know, this area of business is my strong suit, so I really, you should give up, Dad. He says, no, take the posture of someone who serves. Jesus did that. Was Jesus God? Totally. But what did he do? I come to? 
And he totally blew his disciples apart when he says, I must serve you. I did not come to be served, but I came to. They're like, how can you be God and the Lamb of God, the Messiah, and you're serving us? He says, that is my Father's way. So the way in the church of God has to be one of, I drop myself, all my ego, my need for being recognized, all of those things have to drop. So when scripture talks about elders, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, I exhort the elders, and that word there is the word presbyteros, which is where we get the word presbyterian, okay, or presbytery. It has to do with, specifically, that word, the origins of that word have to do with older people. That's where we get the word, an elder person, right? But not just elder in the context of age, but elder in the context of maturity. So elders are people who are mature in the faith. They're not new converts. They're not people who are 21, 22 year olds. This is why, while I understand the grace of God can operate in any fashion, there is wisdom in making sure that pastors and teachers and elders of churches specifically are not under the age of 30, really. It's not a safe thing. Because they've not seen life, really. Because guess what? You've got people who are much, much older that they have to care for. How do you care for an 80-year-old? You're a 22-year-old. You don't even know what you are going to do as an adult. Correct? This is not being dismissive. This is being plain. So while we are growing in the grace of God, we say, yeah, there is wisdom in God for giving us time to learn certain things. So even myself, I'm almost 40, and I wouldn't presume to be a fully-fledged elder. I, I submit myself constantly to the wisdom that God has given us in older elders that he's placed in our church. Why? Are they always right and I'm wrong? No. But there is help in that. Because there is something that comes with the presbyteros or the, the elderness of it, the maturity of it, that I am lacking in certain ways. Does that make sense? There's wisdom in that. The second word you will see is the word overseer. Which is again translated as the word elder. But it's this idea of the people who govern or rule with a sense of oversight. Not undersight, oversight. So you're saying these are people who are watching everything that's going on and paying attention to the detail. So elders are also people, and it's this word episcopa, so to take the big picture. To take the large view in mind and say, what are the things that we need to have established? What are the things that we need to teach? What are the things that are lacking? Oh, we have more young families. We have a lot of older people. How do we pay attention to their needs? So that it doesn't become about one person's show. Or one particular demographic. Does that make sense? So the church needs to be cared for entirely. And that third word is the word poimen, which is shepherd. Which is the word that we took and we carried 
into the modern church and we call everybody pastors. Whoever that guy is, he's the pastor. That is the least used word, but the function of making sure they're fed good food, making sure they're cared for, making sure that if there is illness somewhere in the body of Christ, there's care, there's tending. Shepherding is a very essential part of this function. Now do you understand why I attached pastors and teachers together? Because it's this need for caring for needs, but then also teaching those needs. That's how we feed the children of God. Making sure they have a knowledge and understanding of who God is. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart. They will feed you with knowledge and understanding of God. This is the kind of people that God gifts to the church. It is a gift to the church. Is it an acquired position? No. So that is why you will, whenever you hear me speak, I always put myself as one among other equal elders. And whenever the Bible talks about elders, it's always multiple, never one. There is never a singular elder. There is never a singular pastor. There is no such thing as an elder board. Even though they might function as a board for legal purposes. Do you understand? We shouldn't conflate the legal, the legal purposes of a church with who God called the church to be in the first place. There are certain things for the sake of the United States Code and all of those things that we need to have certain things in place. It's good to have a board. But don't conflate that word elder with a board. They might fulfill the legal functions of a board, but they are, if they are not people who can care, teach, govern well with humility, and people who are constantly looking at the needs of this church, they cannot be an elder of the church. Does that make sense? It's a much higher standard than a board position. And that is why you will see in our church, it's a, it's, it's a far more laborious process than just simply saying, oh, we, you know, this person's time's up, so we need someone else on the board. You're free, you're free, you're free. We need someone on the board. We need like a committee member. We don't need committee members. We don't need someone who can just fill a seat so that we can get approvals. We need someone who can teach and train the body of Christ. Someone who will carry the heart of God for his people. It's not easy. And the qualifications for elders are in two passages. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9. So you, when you read these things, you see that these are people who are not caught up by themselves. It has to be in the context of the each ones. It has to be in the context of as fellow servants. When God calls these people, he calls them in the context of service. Not in the context of elevating. You've reached the next level. The problem is in our world, we're so used to next level, next level, next level. So what's your next level? There is no next level. We're all on the same level. Each one of us. 
the, the people God gives you in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, it says, Remember the leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider them the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So are the people who lead us worthy of imitating? Or are they like people that you're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, why did we, why are we following after people like this? Are they people worth following? That's a shepherding concept. Are they people worth following? Not that we make it about them, because it's an each one thing. But in the context of, do they carry the king's heart? Are they people who are just caught up with themselves? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy, not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So when God gives us elders, when God gives us people who shepherd us through this season, it should be something that's joyful. It should be something that say, I love to serve you. Right? So as we go into a season as a church where God will start raising up other elders in our church, we need to be making sure that we're looking for the heart of God in people. We're looking for people who will only serve His purposes, not an agenda, but then also submit themselves to the work of God. Similarly, deacons are people who are servants of God. And this is why in our church specifically, we have people who function in different specific tasks. But is that task a singular task? We're all called servants of God. It's that word diakonos. It says, for those who have, according to the grace of God, each one has been given. Let each one diakonos. Let each one serve according to the grace given. So we're all deacons. Who are deacons here? We're all deacons. As an elder, I'm a deacon. I serve in the capacity of eldering. While in the church, and this is where I want to draw this slight distinction. Because there are specific tasks that might need to be given. Let's say we need people for older people. We need someone to care for them. And we say, specifically, we would like to have a deacon who cares for older people's needs. We need a person who can dedicate themselves to the care of young mothers. Because that need is there in our church. Who can we count on and we can say, can you be a deacon off? Does that make sense? So wherever a role is given or an office is given, it's not to say now suddenly that person is the deacon. Because we're all deacons. The issue is, do you function in that specific calling? So there is something for the church to recognize. This person has a unique gift of working in care homes. So for, for our care ministry, we would like to call this person the deacon for this care ministry. Does it make sense? So it comes out of function. It doesn't come out of office. All of these things. So even the elders of the church cannot be given as an office because, well, he looks like he, that's his next level. Mm -mm. It has to be in the context of serving the body of Christ. Amen? All right. I think I'm going to stop here for today. As we pick up next week, I'm going to go into the gifts that God gives to each of us in the context of how it operates with the shepherding of the church.
If you've, if you've been able to get a communion cup, if you could grab that. Could I grab one, actually? Will, could you throw me one? Thanks. You had two. Thank you. I got it. So, when God calls us as a body of Christ, He calls us to oneness in Him. Let me just see if... Can someone check if the, the youth are coming in or if they're staying there? 